Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you today. Make sure you get signed up for that class, His Money, Our Money, Their Money, Somebody's Money. I told the first service, uh, what, Lindsay, but what Lindsay just told you is very true. I'll, I'll be out of town. True story, man. I will be out of town and out of the blue in the middle of whatever I'm doing, having a conversation with somebody, working, whatever I'm doing, I'll suddenly grab my wallet. I feel things escaping me. I feel myself going broke all of a sudden. And I'll call my wife, and she'll say, how did you know? And I'll say, what do you mean? Where are you, and what are you doing? I'm at the mall. (laughs) Leave now, put everything down, go straight to the exit. (laughs) Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Now listen, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week. And uh, man, it was a quiet service in the first service this morning. You know, when you talk about money, people get real quiet. They don't, don't, don't talk about money, Pastor Randy. Well, you need to know Jesus talked about money more than heaven or hell. So <laughs> we at least have to address it every now and then, right, right Ron? We just got we to talk about it a little bit. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, we'll be reading from the New King James Version. If you're there, say amen. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. What he's talking about here is he's referring to Genesis 14 and 15 where uh, Abraham had gone out and fought a battle and was bringing back the spoils of war. In the process on his way back, he met with um, a, a priest, Melchizedek, and they ate, and they ate together. And then, and then Abraham gave him a tenth of all of his increase. He gave him a tithe. And at the same time, Melchizedek then turned and blessed him and gave him one of the most powerful blessings in Scripture, uh, the, the, uh, the blessing of Abraham, blessing of elevation, possession, and dominion. Powerful blessing. Um, and some, at another time, we'll come back and discuss that. But he's referring to here now, uh, then, the writer of Hebrews is going back and referring to uh, even that moment which was before the law. He picks up now in verse 5, or verse yeah, verse 5. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. So now he's brought in tithing before the law with Abraham. Now he brings in tithing under the law. It was a command uh, to, to receive uh, the, the tithes from the people according to the law. Uh, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Verse 8. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Place your hand on your Bible. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence that's in the room today. I thank you that... Uh, you were here when we got here. You were ready to meet with us and to receive us and to touch us. And Father, though we say we welcome you into this place, really this is your home. 
This is where you live and abide and where you move and where you meet with us. I thank you, Father, that we have the privilege because of the sacrifice uh, that you made and that Jesus made on the cross that we can go beyond the veil and we can experience you for ourselves. I thank you for it, Jesus. Open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from, and from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Lord, I pray that my words would not be mere words of man's wisdom today, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your son, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to welcome all those watching online right now. Hope you'll get your Bibles. Uh, get still, get quiet, get set down wherever you are. Maybe you're at work, maybe you're in a hotel room, maybe you're at home, maybe you live in other parts of the world. But I want you to get ready to receive from God today that he might touch you, that he might challenge your spirit, and that the scriptures might be opened to you today. Uh, it's a good time to be in the house uh, of the Lord. Uh, for those that had signed up, I don't, did we mention um, Growth Track today? We mentioned that. Uh, it'll be coming up in March. We had some scheduling things come up, so we'll move that to March. Uh, but we'll, we'll make sure we get you more information on that. Last week, we began a series on first things. Uh, and we talked about how that God is first, and because He is first, the first portion belongs to God. And the first is very important because whoever, whoever gets the first is first. Whoever gets the first is Lord. It's a test of lordship that we see in Scripture. Uh, we see it in the garden. We see it with Cain and Abel. We see it throughout Scripture. We see tithing, the tithing principle before the law. We see it under the law. And today we're going to talk about tithing after the law. Uh, it's not just about the law of Moses. There is more to the principle. It's the test of lordship. Whoever gets the first is first. Uh, and and, and the, the idea and the concept and the reality that God is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So today we want to make a shift from the, new t- from the Old Testament or the Old Covenant to the New Testament or the New Covenant. Things change with Jesus. Take some guidelines, uh, look, take a look at some guidelines for New Testament living and what Jesus did for us. Today I want to basically answer three questions. Three simple questions. Uh, well, maybe not all simple, but three of the most common questions that I get as a pastor as it relates to tithing. Uh, the first two won't take us long. We'll spend most of our time on the third and really take a look at what the Bible uh, teaches us. Three, three important questions. Here's the first important question. Um, first question I get all the time, got it so many times this week, uh, I, I, just, I get this question all the time is, Pastor, do I pay tithes on my gross income or my net income? Nod your head at me if you've ever wondered this question. Okay. Um, Here's the thing. The question is, what is your increase? What is your increase? Uh, did you earn, um, if, you're, if your job description at the bottom says you earn $1,000 a week, now your take home may be $800 uh, after you pay your taxes and your health insurance and uh, whatever else you might pay, uh, but what do you pay tithes on your gross or your net? Your gross is the, is the total before all that comes out. That's your gross. So the principle of the Word of God is we pay tithes on our increase. What was your increase? Taxes are part of what we owe as Americans to have the freedom uh, and to enjoy living in our country. Your taxes go to pay for a lot of things, but things like roads. How many of you are glad we have roads? Okay. Um, uh, if you if you don't know what it means to have good roads, go to Louisiana for a little bit and drop down. 
just kidding. I'm just kidding. Mark, wherever you are, I'm just kidding with you. Uh, my wife's family's from Louisiana, so I like to kid with them a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm getting some evil looks right now. <laughs> if you're watching online in Louisiana, I was just kidding with you. Uh, uh, the road I drive on to get to work every morning, I'm, I'm confident there are more potholes on it than actual good roads. So it's, it's here too. Here's, here's the thing. You get roads. You get an education. Right? Our, our taxes go to pay for education for you, for your kids. Um, we get things like uh, protection abroad. We have an army to protect us, to make sure that we're not attacked, uh, and, and to go to war for us, to protect our freedom uh, overseas. We have uh, protection at home. We have police officers, we have state troopers, we have DPS, we have FBI, we have Coast Guard, we have all these people to help protect us at home. So when we, when we pay our taxes, that's part of our increase that is going to allow us to live in this great country, right? Can I get an amen? All right. It gets very quiet when you talk about money, uh, so I got I to gotta prod you just a little bit every now and then. Here's another th- question for you. Jesus said, um, render unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's, render unto God that which was God's. So the question is, am I a Christian first or am I an American first? Well, for me, it's very simple. Before I'm a Christian, I mean, before I'm an American, I am a Christian. That is who I am. I live in America, and I'm proud to be an American. Uh, I, I'm proud of the country that we live in. I love being here. I don't want to live in another country. But even beyond all that, regardless of the country that I live in, I am a believer. I am a Christian. Therefore, because I'm a Christian first, the first of my increase goes to God. All right? So the second part of that question is this. Okay, Pastor and I pay my tithes. I paid on the gross or the net. Uh, the, the next part of that question is that I always get these two are tied together, especially in this season. Do I pay tithes on my, my income tax return? Do I pay tithes on it or not? Well, basically, and I'm not going into a tax lesson today. It's, I, I'm not an IRS agent and I'm not an expert. But basically, the principle is your income tax is a return. So it's taxes that you paid in, but you, at the end of the year, paid too much. Maybe you had deductions or uh, programs that that our our government gives us to allow us to get more money back. It's a return. So the basic principle is you don't get more money in your income tax return than you actually paid in, right? There are a few few, um, exceptions to the rule. So here's the thing. If I pay tithes on my gross before my taxes were taken out, when I get my income tax return, that is money that I have already paid my tithes on. So as we learned last week, it's already been redeemed. It's already been blessed. It's already, the first portion has already been given to God. I don't have to pay tithes on that. That is mine. I have, God has blessed it and returned it to me. I truthfully believe that, that it's, it's, I just take it to say, hey, this is part of the, the good, goodness that God has for me. And I take it and I use it to bless my family. Uh, we, we always give to different things. So we've, we've given to missions organizations or building programs. We've paid off people's cars. Lindsay and I love to take when we have lump sums of money and really do something uh, for someone else. It's part of what we do. Uh, you can do with it what you will, but you got to know it has already been blessed. Amen. It's already blessed. So there you go. Uh, there, there's question number one. Most common question I get is that one right there. Gross or net? And the second part of it is, do I pay, t- do I pay tithes on my income tax return? All right, second question is just simply this. What about my business? What do, I, what do I do about tithing from my business? Some people don't tithe from their business. That's, that's up to them. But my personal belief and understanding of the Scripture 
uh, is that when God originally gave these principles of tithe, he gave it to business owners. He gave it to farmers. He gave it to kings. He gave it to ranchers. Uh, he gave it to business owners. And uh, so when, when, when you were speaking to an agricultural society, your farm was not only your source of income, but it was your personal business. Are you guys cold in here? Got a little chilly. Thanks, man. Uh, it was warm earlier, but it's got, got a little, got a little chi- chillier. Um, so here, here's the principle. What do, what do we do? Just trying to answer some questions for you, clear some things up because I get this all the time. What do we do at our, about our business? Well, wh- if you draw a salary, it's very simple to be able to look at your salary and say, okay, well, I made X amount of dollars, so this is my tithe. But when you don't draw a salary in your business, it can get very complicated. It can vary. Uh, what is our increase? What is, what is not? Um, you know, some of us uh, in our businesses, it's very simple. I made X amount of dollars on this job. It cost me this much. Therefore, the difference is what my increase was. But when you have secretaries that you're paying that may not be directly involved in the job that you did or you're, you're buying or, or renting a facility to have your office or uh, you've got to pay for uh, work vehicles, it can get very convoluted. I can't even spell convoluted, but it It can. <laughs> So, uh, so I get this question from business owners all the time, Pastor Renan, I don't know when, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to determine what my increase is. Uh, so there's, you know, uh, determining at the outset is a little difficult. Also waiting till the end of the year and looking at your income tax return can sometimes be a little bit misleading because, uh, after we take all the deductions out and we take away all the places we lost money, we turn in our income taxes. And according to the IRS laws, it appears that we lost money. If you've ever had that in your, in your small business, you, you'll understand. It appears, like, it, appears, it appears like you lost money. Okay, but in the meantime, <laughs> I've been there, I've been there. In the meantime, you did move your life forward. Maybe you paid your house note or your car note. Uh, you ate, you, you lived. So somewhere along the way, there was an increase. So here's a couple of principles to keep in mind. That, and, uh, and you can study the word on your own and find out where these line up for you. Number one, whatever you take for your family, on that you owe a tithe. I recommend as soon as you can, people take a salary. It begins to make things much more clear and simple. Not all businesses allow that, I understand. But if you can get there, that will help it make more sense. The second thing is, you need to determine um, where you... Where you're going to determine, uh, you need to choose a place where you're going to determine your increase. Um, maybe not at the end, maybe not at the beginning. Both of those are unclear. Uh, a lot of businessmen recommend that you look at it monthly or quarterly, maybe semi-annually, and, and you look at the quarters. Okay, I had all these bills come out. It cost me this much to run my business this month, and we brought in this much. Therefore, I can clearly see what my increase is. Does that make sense? And so what you do is you, you estimate... Just like you do with your taxes, you say, I think I'm going to owe about this much taxes or about this, and, and then at the end of the year, you reconcile it. That's why we get income tax returns. So many of the businessmen that I talk to and in my studies in the Word of God, I really recommend that you say, God, I'm going to be faithful to you, and this is what I'm going to give. And at the end of the quarter, you reconcile. God, do I owe you more or do I not? Because remember, God's looking at the heart. God's looking at your heart and saying, God, what are you, what are you doing in your heart? 
So that's the issue there, and I hope that helps you. It's, it's not an exact science. I wish that the Bible was written in today's uh, society so that we could be a lot more clear as it relates to uh, all the laws that we all deal with, but it's not. So we're taking something that was written thousands of years ago and trying to overlay it onto our culture, and we do the best that we can. But you pray about it. Decide what you feel is best for you as a business owner, and then, and then be consistent with that and make sure that you're putting God first. Can I get an amen? Third question. This is the one we're going to spend most of our time today, and it's just simply this. Pastor, um, where, where, what, do you, what, what is tithing in the New, cut, New Testament? Well, I, you know, I, I don't see it. There's only a couple places where the word tithe is actually used in the New Testament. I read one of them here. I'm going to read the other one later. So where is it in the New Testament, and, and how does it work under the New Covenant? If we've been freed from the law by Jesus, then how are we then still held to the same law of tithing? Have you ever wondered this question? Uh, this is a question that as you really begin to study the Bible, it's one of the questions that comes up as, you, as you're studying and reading. Can I get some water, Ronnie? I'm like dying right at this moment. Thank you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Very important scripture. This is Jesus' first sermon. You know it as the Sermon on the Mount. He stands up and he says this. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but fulfill. So we're going to see something very interesting with Jesus. Remember I told you and showed you from Hebrews how there was tithing before the law, then tithing under the law. Now Jesus comes to say, and he says, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. And so how did he do this? What, what happened here? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 shows us a little bit more. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. So in this verse, the writer of Hebrews gives us a glimpse into what God is trying to do. In the Old Testament or under the Old Covenant, God worked from the outside in. He gave them laws. Under the law of Moses, there were about 633 laws that we were supposed to live by. And, and by living by, uh, according to those laws, it showed that you loved Jesus, or, that, or excuse me, that you loved God. But under the New Testament, God shifts this thing. And he said, I'm not going to write these laws on stones anymore that, that you have to try to learn and follow. But I'm going to write on your hearts. So God is now going from working from the outside in to now he works from the inside out. So in the Old Testament, it was like this. Uh, I obey the laws, therefore I love God. But under the New Testament, it is this. I love God, and because I love him, I keep his commandments. Do you see the shift that takes place? God didn't come to destroy the law. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it and make a shift here. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. So now as a pastor and as a Christian, we all should be instruments of love and forgiveness pointing people to the Savior. This is what we do. This is who we are. We're, we are, we are uh, instruments of grace for the world. We are, we are not uh, instruments of judgment. That is not my role, nor is it yours. We are people who are supposed to bring the love and the peace of God to a, a world that needs it. 
So you come to me and you sit down in my office and you tell me how you broke some of the commandments and maybe you've, you've sinned. My job is to, is to release the love of God and forgiveness in your life and, and, bring, and give you, show you the road to Jesus, right? That's my job. Now, you should know, if you come in and sit down at my desk and tell me that you killed your wife, I'm calling the police. <laughs> now, I'm also going to you know, talk to you about the love of Jesus in the process while they're on their way. And, and I'll come visit you and pray for you and, and hope that you give your life to Jesus, but I'm calling the police. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just, just, just so you know, you're not protected by attorney-client privilege when you come see me. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> so here's what we got to look at. When we, when we study the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and the connection of the two, we have to understand that the law was God trying to create a way that we could get back to him. Go all the way back to the garden. We discussed this for just a few minutes last week. In the garden, you read in Genesis 1, 2, in the beginning parts of 3, uh, everything is good in the garden. The Bible says that Adam and Eve and, and God, they walked together in the cool of the day. Their relationship was together. There was no distance. Uh, there was no disconnect. They were together in the garden. They relate that we were in right standing with God in the garden. But you know the story. The serpent comes in. He offers to eat the wrong tree. Sin invades. We become sinners. And now there is this cavern, this, this uh, hole that separates us from God. And we cannot get across it by ourselves. You, sin puts such a distance between you and, you and God, we can't get back in right standing with God without a bridge. We need something to help us to cross this bridge. So God comes in and he creates the law. I'm taking you through looking at the Bible from a big picture now. He creates the law. Because we were together when he created us. It was wonderful. It was how he wanted things to be. It was the original intent that God had for you and I, that we would walk together with him in perfect standing. But sin came in, disobedience came in, and, and now there is this cavern. So God says, I want, I want to build a bridge back. And his first uh, attempt at get, allowing us to be back in right standing was this bridge called the law. And if we did things according to the law, it would allow our sins to be rolled back and we could be in right standing with God. The problem was uh, that you can't, uh, you can't, we couldn't really live up to all the laws. As a matter of fact, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were masters at creating scenarios to where two or three of the laws would come against each other and force you to break one or the other. And if your salvation was completely uh, hinging upon keeping all 633 laws all the time and never breaking them, how many of you know we could not live up to it? So, so the plan seems at first glance to be faulty. But what we have to understand is God was putting uh, into motion his laws. So he said, uh, in order for your sins to be covered or rolled back, there has to be the blood of the lamb, the blood of the firstborn, the sacrifice to cover your sins. So for thousands of years, people are bringing their, their lamb 
They're sacrificing them, and the high priest goes in, and he puts the blood on the mercy seat and, and, and all that teaching. And this is going on for thousands of years because it is God's way of creating a bridge. But it's not really working. So you look at it, and you say, well, well why did he do it in the first place? It's because God can't do anything that, is, that he has not already spoken and put into motion. So when he says, the way back, you have to have a blood or a sacrifice to get you back, it looks at first like the law isn't working, but then you realize God is now creating a way through which he can fulfill his law once and for all. That way is Jesus. We come into the New Testament. Now we understand that Jesus was the, was, was the Lamb of God that was sacrificed once and for us. God had to live by his law. In Hebrews chapter 6, he says it is immutable. He swore it by himself. There was no other higher purpose by which he could swear. He couldn't, uh, we, we maybe, and I don't recommend this, swear to God. He is God. So he swore on himself. It was immutable and unchangeable. He had to have a sacrifice in order to bring salvation. So here's his plan. His plan is Christ. His plan is that that his plan is that Christ would fulfill the law and bring reconciliation. God had to sacrifice his firstborn so that it would create a bridge by which every one of us could know and him and be reconciled to him. This was his plan. So caught up in the message of tithing is the reality that God loved us so much. He gave his only begotten son, as it says in John three sixteen, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's all wrapped up in this message of love. It's not just a test of lordship. It is a message of love. Love and giving is at the heartbeat of the gospel because it is what God did for us. Christ fulfilled the law now. So Christ made this bridge. And because of what he did, because he died on a cross, we now have complete access to the Father. We can be in right standing. We can, we can walk with him just like he intended us to when he created us. So now, he came to fulfill the law. So today, for you and I, and under this new covenant, it is not so much about breaking the law as it is about violating the law. I'll give you a for instance. We all understand gravity. Okay, you remember, dust off the cobwebs, go back to school, you remember gravity. What goes up must come down. Uh, even if, even if uh, you know, I can jump really high, I'm still going to come back down. Right? It's, it's the law of gravity, which keeps us pinned to this earth, keeps us from floating off into space. It's the, it's, it, it is gravity. You cannot break the law of gravity. You can violate its principle, but you can't break it. I can climb up to the top of the Empire State Building, and I can declare to you, put me on YouTube and webcast everything and say, I am about to break the law of gravity. When I jump off this building, I'm just going to float. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I jump off the building, I'm going down. And, and I am going to splatter on the ground. Because I cannot break the law of gravity. What I can do is violate its principles and pay the cost of violating its principles. I'm not going to survive. You might survive jumping off a ladder. You're not going to survive jumping off the Empire State Building. It's too much. The law of gravity. There is a consequence to it. So you can't break the law, but you can violate it. Say amen if you understand what I'm saying. 
So when we come to the law of tithing and the principle of tithing under the new covenant, I'm going to mess with some of you right now. When I said this in the first service, some eyes got really big. Are you ready? Tithing is not an issue of salvation. You can be saved and not be a tither. You cannot be a tither and make it to heaven. But when you violate the principles of tithing, you stop the hand of God from releasing the blessings upon you and staying the hand of the devourer in your life. The Bible is full. He says in, in Hebrews, he talks about the things in our life that accompany salvation. About the benefits that accompany salvation. So there is more to this issue than just salvation. God, you've got to know something. If all God did for me was save me, that would be enough. But that's not all he did for me. He has plans that accompany salvation. Salvation is the primary piece of it. It's the, it's the foundation of it. It's the start of it. But beyond that, he has what the, the book of Psalms in the 68th chapter calls benefits. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. The God of our salvation. Notice benefits is plural right there. It's not singular. He's not talking about one. He's talking about lots of benefits. So when you read and you understand the scripture and you read Malachi chapter 3, that he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out uh, blessings on our life uh, and he'll rebuke the devourer for our sake. These are the benefits. These are the blessings that accompany salvation, but they're only released into the life of those who follow the principle of tithing. He says uh, in, in chapter 3 of Proverbs that, that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wines. Well, I don't have a barn, nor do I have a vat, but I believe what he's saying to me is that he's going to bless me and I'm gonna, my bank account will be filled with plenty <laughs> and, and my life will overflow with love and joy and happiness and peace and goodness. And it, it's not just about finances, it's about all the blessings that God wants to do on my life. They are released when I understand and obey the principle of a tithe. But when we violate the principle, God cannot release them. Because remember he said in chapter 6 of Hebrews, we learned this last week, it is immutable and unchangeable. He cannot do it. He wants to. He is waiting on edge to release blessings in our life, but he can't until we do what what, what he said to do. We can be saved, and yet at the same time being stop, stop our God from blessing us. I heard a great testimony uh, this morning. Uh, right after the services, um, one, of the, one of the men in the church came up and said, Pastor, I, I've, been, I've been tithing on my net for years, my whole life. That's the way I was raised. But last week, I had been feeling since the beginning of the year that God wanted me to ch- was challenging me to tithe on my gross. And so he said, uh, I, I, was, I got here, and then you were talking about it and, and, and talking about tithing. And I said, man, I'm going to tithe on my gross today. So he said, I changed my t- check. I had brought it, and I changed my envelope, changed my check, and I tithed on the gross last week. This week, I went and got my income taxes, and I already knew I was going to get X amount of dollars back. I already knew. I had already uh, done it all. I was just going in to make sure it was right. And when I got it back, I got back double. Double. Because the principles of the Word of God work in our lives. Not all of us get such an immediate return. (laughs) I wish it were that way. 
But when you look back at the life of a tither over the course of years, you clearly see the hand of God at work. In Hebrews chapter 7, where we begin today, the writer is laying out for us the similarities between the old covenant and the new. He said in the old covenant, they had a high priest that would receive the tithe. But what we learn here in Hebrews is that under the new covenant, we too have a high priest and he receives our tithes. His name is Jesus. So Jesus is in heaven receiving our tithes. Now, look at verse 8 here again. Uh, I want to show you what he's saying. This is very important. It's going to tie into something you see me do uh, most every week, and here you'll understand why. Here, here meaning on earth, okay? Mortal men receive tithes. So here's what he's saying. Here on earth, there is a man uh, or a woman that passes an offering bucket and you put tithes in an offering bucket and it's counted and taken to a safe into the bank and all that stuff. I don't ever deal with it. I told you last week I can't count to 50, so I was out of the accounting department from after I was 16. It was no longer allowed in. Um, but uh, here on earth, mortal men receive the tithes. Um, but what's happening at this very same time is that in heaven... Our high priest is receiving them. Now, this is very important to us for us to understand. Uh, because though, uh, as your pastor, part of my role is to release the blessings of God upon your life, I'm not actually the one that does the blessing. It is God. So, when our high priest, Jesus, who is God, receives the tithe, he then has the power to return the blessing to us. So, yes, it is received, it goes into a bucket, it goes into a bank account, it turns into walls and air conditioners. For those of you that are cold, it turns into heaters, it turns into uh, children's classrooms and missions projects and all the things that we do to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. That's where it goes to. But what we have to understand is beyond that, there's something spiritual happening and Jesus, our high priest, is receiving our tithe in heaven. That's why... Um, most weeks, when I've taken up the offering, uh, when I pray, I'll say, uh, lift your offering envelope and let's, let's give it to the Lord. The reason why is because it is a reminder, okay, I'm putting this in an offering bucket, but i got to remember that I'm giving this offering to God. Jesus, this offering is going to you, and, and I am counting on you to return the blessings and, and rebuke the devourer for my sake and to come through for me. Right? So it's just a simple reminder. There's nothing, there's nothing fancy about it. There's nothing special about it. It's just a simple reminder. If you don't like doing it, you don't have to do it. I promise you, you won't go to hell over it. It's just something that, that, that we do as a reminder that we are uh, giving our tithes and they are being received by our high priest in heaven. Uh, so, so what we clearly see here now in the book of Hebrews is there was a tithing before the law, tithing under the law, and there is still tithing after the law. Watch what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, uh, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Um, 
Jesus actually commends the scribes and the Pharisees for being tithers. He says, these you ought to have done. You're doing it. What they were doing, though, is they were so uh, caught up on the, on the letter of the law and making sure that every penny that they brought in was tithed on, that they were forgetting other issues. Uh, when he says you tithed on mint and cumin, these are, these are cooking spices that would be used. So you go out in your garden and you pick one leaf to make dinner that day. And when you bring it in, you would measure out one-tenth, bring that one-tenth to the house of God before you ever used the rest to cook with. So they were, he said, listen, okay, you are tithing on every single little thing. You should be tithing. These you ought to have done, but you are forgetting justice and mercy and faith. And these are the bigger issues. Because what, what Jesus was trying to help explain to them is, under this new covenant, remember I told you, tithing won't get you there. The only reason we have access to God is because of his grace and mercy. And so we shouldn't be using tithing as a way to judge people, but rather we should be tithing. That's basic, fundamental. Jesus was talking to a society that were all tithers. They were fun, it was a part of their fundamental beliefs and, and value system. But he says what you can't do is then judge people and, and, and not utilize justice and mercy and faith and, and, and just, just spew hatred and try to put everybody down because they're not doing things exactly right. But Jesus said, when I draw men to me, I draw, draw all men unto me. And I want you to come as you are, and we'll worry about the other stuff later, but I just want to release salvation to you. Jesus said, uh, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Because when we look at these, these two issues, we have, we have the, uh, the law and we have grace. We have uh, the covenant under the law. And we have life under grace. Which one is the higher standard? Um, which one is the higher standard? Uh, let me get uh, Caleb. You and Blake come help me real fast. Caleb, you stay on here. Blake, you jump up here with me. Y'all ain't moving too fast today. All right. Now, we're, we're looking now. Caleb is going to be the lower standard. Blake is going to be looking sharp today. Both of you guys are looking sharp today. Blake is the higher standard. Blake is the harder one. Blake is the one that requires more because it is, it is a higher standard. And how many of you know higher standards are harder to live by than lower standards, right? Now, so the question would be, which one of these two standards is grace and which one is the law? Well, our first thought is that the law would be the higher standard because it's hard to live by. There's 633 laws. We've got to live by every single detail of every word. I mean, if it says you can't do work, then that means you can't even turn the lights on for on the Sabbath day. You can't hardly do anything. You have to cook on, on Friday so that you'll have enough food on Saturday. I mean, it's a serious deal. That it would be hard to live by, but the reality is that the law is actually the lower standard. And grace is the higher standard. Here's where it is. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Remember the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount? I talked to you about when, G, when verse 17, when Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. He goes right, right, on, right on after that. In the next few verses, he begins to say things like, You have heard it said that you should not commit adultery. It's one of the, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? But, here's what he says, But I say to you, the higher standard, if you even look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've already sinned. Now, which one is harder? To just not do the act 
or to not even look on another woman with lust in your heart. He said this, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. Another one of the, one of the Ten Commandments, right? But I say to you, uh, don't, even, uh, don't even be angry and allow the sun to set on your anger. And he goes into this whole teaching on anger and, and what it does to us. He said, listen, man, you, you've got to deal with the issues in your life. You don't even, for, forget acting on it and, and actually committing the murder. I, I want you to deal with the root of it. I want you to deal with the anger issue. He said, you have heard it said that you can love your enemies, but you get to hate. I mean, excuse me, you get to love your, your neighbors, but you get to hate your enemies. That's what you heard it said. But I say to you that you're going to love your neighbor and, and love your enemy and bless those who persecute you and spitefully use you and wrong you and, and mistreat you. He says, not only are you, it's easy to love your neighbors, but I want you to love and bless those who are coming against you. Now you tell me which one is the higher standard. Grace. Because grace is written on our heart. And out of that comes our actions and the way we live. And we, we live according to the principles of God because of what he's done on the inside of us. Thanks, you guys. Y'all give him a hand. Grace is the higher standard. Uh, Jesus didn't eliminate the law. But through the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to live according to his word. You got to know something. I tithe because the one who saved me told me to. The one who died for me, he said that I should. And, but not only that I should tithe, but I should remember justice and mercy and faith. Every time I put my envelope, and I'm coming to a close today. Every time I put my envelope in that offering, it, it takes God back to the place where he paid his tithes. He paid his tithes in the form of Jesus. It takes him back there. Exodus chapter 13, verse 14 and 15. Moses writes to us <clears throat> under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he said, once now you're, you're out of Egypt... You're not in slavery, you're not in bondage anymore, and you're going to bring your tithe into the storehouse. And you're leading your lamb, the firstborn. And you and your son are, are taking him, and your son has been the one that really raised him and took care of him from a baby. They were friends, and he played with him, and he named him, and, and he, he loves this lamb. And as you're walking this lamb, your son's probably going to get confused, and he's going to say to you, why are we taking this lamb to the sacrifice? Why can't we take one of the other ones? Why can't we give a different lamb? Why can't we give the one that's always jumping over the fence and I have to chase down? Why this one? He was the first. He's my favorite. Why this one? And, and, and here's what... He said, you take him aside and you set him down and you say, son, you remember the other day when you came into my room and I was just putting my shirt on and you saw the scars that were all over my back? Yes, dad, I remember. He said, son, tell him, son, those were the scars left by the whips of taskmasters. You see, when I was in Egypt, we were slaves. 
We belonged to someone else. We were in bondage. And they would whip us, persecute us, and we paid a severe penalty. But God sent a deliverer, and he brought us out. He brought us to the promised land. I'm no longer a slave anymore. I'm no longer in bondage anymore. But we have our own uh, things. We have our own property and, and ranch and, and farms. And we, we're blessed. And so because of what he did for me, because he set me free from slavery, from bondage, I gladly bring him the first fruits of our increase. Here's the principle that he was laying out. In my life, when my kids ask me, Dad, why do you bring your tithe? Why do you give to God? I say, son, I was a slave to sin. You may not have known me before I gave my life to him. But I was in bondage to the world, to the enemy. I was caught up in my own desires. If you looked back across my life, you would see it scarred with the pain and the toil that I went through when I was living for myself and living for the world. But Jesus died for me and he saved me. And because he saved me, it is my privilege. Because of what he's done inside me and and he brought me freedom, I am no longer a slave anymore. But Galatians says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And because of that, I gladly bring my gift to the Lord. When you know what he gave for me, Giving moves beyond the law and it becomes the outcry of my heart. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. I want you to know that the grace of God is here today. And I I understand that we've been talking about tithing, but at the core of the tithing principle is, is the heart of God. That He wants to release grace and forgiveness into your life. I want to ask you to do something for me. I want to ask you to close your eyes just for a moment. Do you need grace released in your life? Have you experienced the guilt and condemnation of sin? You know that you're in bondage to your own desires, your own plans. You're in bondage to the things of this world, but you want to give. You, you want God to come in and to set you free. Today, there is a release and an outpouring of grace and forgiveness in this room today. If you're watching online, I'm talking to you. If you want guilt condemnation to be released from your life and the grace of God and his forgiveness and his love to be bestowed upon you to take you out of the chains and and the bondage of slavery and give you freedom today. I just want you to slip your hand up so I know who I'm praying for. Yeah, there are hands going up all over this room. If you're watching at home, maybe you need to lift your hand. Well, Pastor Ryan and why? Just it's a sign. God, I, I want the grace of God released in my life. I had a lot of sin. Good. Paul said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. 
You can't outrun the grace of God. You can't have done too much for the grace of God not to catch you. We all need it. You can lower your hands down. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for every person in this room and every person watching online or maybe listening on the podcast. Lord, I, I know that you came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. That we don't have to live in bondage to slavery any longer. To, to the slavery of the, of the enemy. To the bondage of, of to slavery to, the, to ourselves or our evil desires to this world. But Father, we can live in the freedom that you died for. It is for freedom that you set us free. And we can walk in the blessings of God. Lord, I pray right now that all of our sins would be washed, washed away. Because your son Jesus created that bridge where we could come back into right standing with you, God. We want to walk with you. We want to be with you. We want to know you. We want to, we want to live for you and abide in you. Father, forgive us of our sins today. Forgive us of all of our sins, all the guilt, all the condemnation, all the things of our past that are washed away. We are new creations in you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's clap our hands and rejoice in the Lord this morning.